Glow Journal podcast, a conversation with the beautiful minds behind the world's biggest beauty brands. I'm your host, beauty writer Gemma Watts, and in this episode, I'm joined by the co-founders of The Secret, Dr. Clara Hurst and Dr. Deb Cohen-Jones. It was something to the tune of skincare fate that brought The Secret skincare to life. When Dr. Clara Hurst opened Perth Skin Clinic Blanc, having relocated to Australia from the UK, she sought the help of a pharmacist to compound prescription skincare for her clients. That pharmacist told her that, just down the road, there was a GP prescribing the very same ingredients and having them compounded into solutions for her patients. That GP was Dr. Deb Cohen-Jones. Dr. Clara and Dr. Deb decided to meet over a coffee, and upon realising that they shared the very same philosophies around the science of skin, that coffee turned into a very long lunch during which the pair decided to go into business together. The Secret, the country's first prescription-only skincare brand, began in early 2019 as a singular cream, only available to those who had an appointment with one of the doctors. Within six months, over 300 jars of The Secret had been sold and the pair began working on new formulas. What started as one magic cream has since grown to a line of 13 different products. In 2020, Dr. Clara and Dr. Deb launched The Secret's digital platform, allowing patients anywhere to complete a consultation online and have their prescription skincare compounded and sent directly to them. This year has seen The Secret introduce new sustainability practices, including refillable packaging, while the coming months will see the launch of The Secret's retail range. In this conversation, Dr. Clara and Dr. Deb share the real differences between prescription and retail skincare, how they turned a mid-pandemic launch into an e-commerce boom, and their advice to business owners trying to avoid fast trends. So we start every single episode by going right back to the very beginning. So a question for both of you, what are your very earliest memories of beauty? Okay, well, look, for me, um, my mum was very interested in beauty and beautiful things. Um, She did collect several beautiful items around my home um, from travels, from living away in Paris for 15 years, etc. But she was also really interested in beauty, in personal beauty herself, again, from living in, in France and being from Spain. Most women are pretty interested. And um you know, seeing that from my mum from an early age, uh, she was very interested in having having treatments and, and going to a spa and getting facials and body treatments. But also in terms of skincare and makeup, she only ever used high quality products. So it wasn't really about the uh, quantity that she had. She may only have a few, but she always made sure that it was just the best of the best. Um, so she would take me shopping when I first started to get into makeup and skincare say age, I don't know, I suppose it was probably 14 or so, uh, she would take me to the department store and buy Saint Laurent mascara. And, you know, if I was going to wear nail polish, it would be like a nice one. And so she made sure she didn't really want me to wear any. But if I must, um, it was all nice quality, high end products. Uh, so she really valued that. And that's probably my my memory from being a, in, in my youth. Yeah. What about you, Deb? Mine's probably the complete opposite 
lost it. So my mom probably only got into beauty really um, as she got older. She's always really sort of tried to be very natural. But she did take all of us for our bat mitzvahs to the Clarence counter and we would get our little three-step pack. And that was just so, so exciting to have, you know, your little cleanser, cleansing soap. My God, like we would never use soap now. And a toner and um, the yellow moisturiser. And then she would also take us to the, um, oh, sorry, that was Clinique. And then Clarence Beauty Flash Balm. So I remember my most vivid glamour moment memory was Princess Diana in her princess carriage getting married. And I remember finding out that she used Clarence Beauty Flash Balm. And that was all I needed to hear to know that that was something that I absolutely had to have. So um, I sort of had a more basic introduction to beauty, but I have always been very passionate about beauty and fashion. It's probably my first love before science. And certainly I um, outgrew my mum's tastes very quickly and I would invest in beauty products with my own money um, because she certainly was not going to spend very much money on it. And definitely I very early on saw the value in investing in beauty products that actually were beautiful, not just packaging wise, but in terms of the product offering and have continued to do that ever since. It's funny that you mention hearing Princess Di was using a particular product because when people roll their eyes now about influencers, I'm like, this is, it's no Mm -hmm. different to the impact of celebrity decades ago and reading something in a magazine, whether or not it was a sponsored placement. Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think Clara, when I, when I talked about this we brought our favorite products into the secret office one day for development day and she was like oh my god I remember hearing the same thing and I've always um loved it and smells so reminiscent so definitely I think we both um were influenced from an early age despite being um, unaware of it at the time so you both clearly had an early interest in an understanding of beauty but what did you each want to be when you grew up perhaps Clara you go first um, look, I wanted to be various things. Um, initially, I wanted to be a vet. Uh, so for years, that was that's what I wanted. I loved animals and you know, I knew they couldn't talk back at you. So that was perfect. <laughs> uh, you can do you can do a bit of uh, medical treatment, but without, um, you know, getting lots of cuddles at the same time. I thought, great. Um, after that, I really wanted to be a pilot for many years. Um, that's um you know in my teens and so on what i really really wanted to do um and the reason why i decided against it eventually was just because i didn't think it was uh going to be the best career for a for, for a mum if i decided to have a family uh being away a lot and so on so um and then i landed on my current choice uh but yeah just there was not one set thing that i wanted since the age of three that wasn't really me mm-hmm. what about you deb so i'm jewish so I had two choices. I could be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> um, luckily, both of those, no, I'm joking. My parents weren't like that at all. But I did probably want to be a lawyer in the beginning. I loved English lit. I'm great at an argument. Um, so I thought that that was what I wanted to do probably until early high school, um, really until we started really delving into the science and starting out you know, human biology and chemistry. And that's when I went, oh, my God, this is just so interesting and it just really made sense to me whereas 
physics and maths doesn't make sense to me. I'm okay at them because I try really hard, but it's not just that quick click, you get it. So that's how I felt with um, particularly human biology. And so really from year eight, that's what I wanted to do. And in those days, you just had to set your sights on it quite early because you had to get a really, really high um, score to get in. So that was pretty much my goal. And um, Clara will attest to the fact that both of us are quite goal orientated. And when I set myself a goal, I do everything that I can to achieve it. So that was how I ended up doing medicine. I think I can attest to that too. (laughs) I think think we're both highly competitive, but with ourselves only. We're not competitive with other people. We're just competitive with our own, you know, achievements, I suppose. And Mm. um, yeah, we have that similarity for sure. Now, Clara, you studied dentistry at King's College London (laughs) Medical and Dental School with the goal of taking that knowledge and then becoming a cosmetic injector. What was it that attracted you to facial aesthetics as a career? Well, look, um, a a little bit like what they've just mentioned, uh, with my parents, it really was a choice of medicine, dentistry, law, um, and there was just maybe a couple of others, but you know, they, they are, they were, like you said, Deb, your parents weren't like that. My parents definitely were like that. So out of those choices, I knew that I didn't want an office job. Um, so when it came to make that decision, I thought, hey, look, I do want to do something to do with science, but I do love art. And I did art in my A-levels as well um, back in, in England. And so I knew I wanted to do something artistic, didn't want to sit in an office, but I was very uh, science focused as well. I did love science. I love biology. Um, and I thought, well, what's what's a great combination of these um, these uh, subjects? And so dentistry was a medicine were at the top. And I did a placement with my dentist and realized this is probably not for me, but there is another kind of strategy here. Um, my mum at the time had just started getting treatments. This is a really long time ago, right? But um, she just started getting cosmetic treatments. She was probably one of the first. So I remember she would have a lady come from Austria and fly in and do a few of her and her friends, their Botox and, and um, any fillers or whatever other treatments. And I thought, hey, this could be an emerging industry here. Um, I'm going to jump on this bandwagon. And I just became really interested in it because I knew it had to do with beauty, science. um, And I thought that's the route for me. And sure enough, I I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, then studying the head and neck is probably the most obvious thing to do. And I did six years of university students in uh, studies in London. And after that, I went on to then further specialise in the cosmetic injectables field. Your first job, as I understand, was at a space in Cardiff Bay in the UK where you set up your own business as a cosmetic injector called the Mulberry Clinic. I've done my research. I have a few (laughs) questions about this time. Firstly, what made you want to start your own business as opposed to working for someone else? Well, I did work for someone else initially. So Mm -hmm. to get lots of experience, I worked for a uh, chain of clinics and uh, that's how you get the most experience. So I was going from clinic to clinic to clinic. They had about 12, 13 clinics across the UK. So I did that first. And then when I gained sufficient experience, I thought I can do this better. I I don't need to be at the mercy of what other people's decisions are uh, regarding my treatment, the products I use, how I do things. Uh, So I decided for that reason that if I can do it better, I'm just going to do it myself. And for me, the obvious choice at that time was to maintain my risk at a minimum. 
Um, so, and, and to be able to leverage of somebody else's, um, I suppose, client list. And the best way to do that was I subleased a space within a really amazing um, hair salon uh, down in in Cardiff, and they had uh, it was it was huge. It's kind of two three stories, and they won lots of awards. They had a huge client base, and they had my type of clients going there. Uh, you know, you kind of a type clients. So I leased a space there and paid them a commission, so that they were motivated to refer patients to me. And so that worked out really well in terms of growing a business from scratch, growing a business from the bottom with, you know, basically an empty list. And within a year, I had a full list and could move on. It's great. An entrepreneur from day one. Were there any <laughs> other lessons that you took from that time as an early, your early days, sorry, as a small business owner that you find you're still applying to your work now? Well, look, even even down to um, your alignment, your your brand alignment. So my brand aligned really well with this other brand because it was very high end. I wouldn't have done that just from any space. You know, it has to be a, another brand that you can genuinely leverage from um, both both ways, by the way, because then I had uh, clients would come in and then would go and get the hair done there. Uh, so it had to be a, a very sophisticated, chic space and brand uh, with the type of clients that I wanted to attract. That's really important. The second lesson is to start small and take very few risks if you can. Just start small, start with and just really cultivate a really good um, network and a really good um, list of clients and and work on your niche. What's your niche? What are you really good at? get really, really good at it before you expand and you go bigger and invest in and, and grow. Just really nail what you're doing from the from the beginning, just from the very basic um, starting point. I would recommend that anyone who's starting tries to do everything right from the beginning, get in the brand right, get in the treatments right, get in your, um, your list of clients right, just just attracting exactly what you want. You can only do that if you are following every step um, and doing everything right from the beginning. That's great advice. Now, Deb, you studied mm-hmm. at the University of Western Australia before becoming a medical doctor. Now, we've established that you had an early interest in beauty. You've mm-hmm. been described as the country's most glamorous GP, and I oh, know I for that. a fact <laughs> that you were in a stiletto pretty much every single day. We've Indeed. touched on this, but what was it that drew you to science professionally and I suppose to your career now, despite that, you know, that love of aesthetics? Mm-hmm. So I guess I'm I'm quite a logical person. And so mm-hmm. for me, science made sense. Um, and there was very clear pathways where if you did something and then you treated it with something, you would get a certain outcome. So for me, I quite love, um, that real certainty, but also to be honest with you, I love helping people. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted a job which I would find personally rewarding. It's really a privilege to go to work every day and make a difference in people's lives. And I think that there's not that many occupations where you sort of really can do that. And I think that's probably why I swung away from law because firstly, I didn't see many lawyers who were very particularly happy in their profession, but often you're making perhaps a positive impact in one person's life, but a negative impact mm. um, in the other parties. Whereas, you know, I get to go to work every day and often the patients who come in, it's the most important 15 minutes 
of their day and I have the ability to really change the outcome and to make a huge difference and that sort of really led me to GP and then preventative medicine and then obviously um, preventative skin care because you are able to make a, a demonstrable change in a person's life which is is really a fabulous um, thing to do. Let's talk about that interest in skincare because you, of course, deal with a variety of illnesses and ailments day to day, many of which are medical skin conditions, which I understand did lead to your interest in dermatology yeah. and in skin health. Is this where your understanding of like prescriptive skincare, is that where that came mm-hmm. from and then building a relationship with a cosmetic compounder? So actually um, my interest was quite selfish in the beginning so I had really bad melasma Mm -hmm. um, and I had struggled with it for many years as well as acne during both of my pregnancies and I'd been to visit various dermatologists who look I did go on Rakutane for the acne which was fantastic um, but my melasma really did not shift until I met a really fabulous doctor who was doing a bit of cosmetic medicine and she started introducing me to prescription skincare and I was blown away by the results. I couldn't believe it. My melasma resolved instantly and then I really started looking a bit further into it and started um, my own um, magic cream, Dr. Deb's magic cream, which I had been prescribing for many, many years prior to meeting um, Clara. And, you know, my patients were wowed by the results, but certainly equally, um, my teenagers with acne, um, um, rosacea, all of those things that often I found other people, other doctors that my patients had pe- perhaps visited prior to me weren't really interested and were quite dismissive about, whereas I really saw and acknowledged the effect on your mental health that mm. having skin conditions can have. Um, and, yeah, that certainly piqued my interest in um, prescription skin care and it grew from there. Back to you, Clara, this is where the stories are starting to come mm-hmm. closer together. You eventually moved to Australia. You opened your skin clinic, Blanc. What was mm-hmm. the gap in the market that you were looking to fill? What makes your clinic and your approach to the skin different from what existed there previously? Well, I suppose, again, when I moved here, I personally do like to get treatments myself. I like to go get facials or dermaplaning or whatever it may be. And when I first arrived here, I realized that there wasn't really anywhere that I would be addicted to going to. There wasn't anywhere that I aspired to go to. There wasn't anywhere that met my needs in terms of being a clinic which offers the latest in the uh, cosmetic treatments and beauty treatments, facial treatments, uh, but also offered everything to a really high standard that was in a beautiful environment and that catered to each client as an individual and created individual treatment plans for each one. It, It felt to me like it was very much, you book what you think you want, And then you go and get that, whether it may be the right thing for you or not, and then you leave. (laughs) And I thought, well, I I want to go somewhere like this and it doesn't exist. So maybe I'll just do it. Um, And so that's how it, that's how it began. That's how it was, Blanc was born. Um, Just because I saw that, and my friends were the same. My friends also asked me for recommendations constantly. Where shall I go for this? Where shall I go for that? And I was recommending places, but I wasn't that confident that they would get what they wanted from those places. Uh, So I wanted 
to offer something that wasn't already available here in WA and uh, luckily it worked out really well. (laughs) On the move to Australia, were there any differences that you noticed between the way that people in Europe approached their skin as compared to Australia? Yes, definitely. I would say Australians are a lot more educated when it comes to their skin. Uh, They're a lot more aware of sun damage. Um, I think people in Europe still like myself and I used to fry themselves in the sun, uh, not wear any sunscreen or appropriate sunscreen, or they definitely wouldn't wear it every day because they think that they only need to wear it if they're actually lying in the sun. So you do see a lot of sun damage in Europe, sun damaged skin, and people don't really know how to treat it. You do see a lot of premature aging, but also just general knowledge about skin, skin conditions and how, what to do about it. Um, the other thing is uh, I feel like there are more treatments available here, readily available in, in small independent clinics and people take more of an interest in their skin and the beauty regime here I would say in general as a general rule and um, yeah people seeking out cosmetic treatment here I I feel a little bit more open to a whole um, to kind of a holistic approach to the, the issue so they do come to you for advice and they they want you to put together a treatment plan Uh, Rather than in the UK, I felt like my patients or patients in general would come, say, for Botox or they would come for lip filler or they would come for something really specific, but they wouldn't really be that interested or knowledgeable um, around the rest of the face and what to do and how to prevent or minimize damage and then how to repair that damage. So I find that in Australia, ladies and men are a lot more educated and a lot more open to treatment options. Now, it's from here that the two of you met upon realising that you were prescribing your patients really similar prescription skincare, perhaps even using the same compounder. I would love to hear the story of how the two of you met. Well, um, as I was, um, you were just, uh, speak, we were just speaking about, I moved from the UK and started working here. Um, now, previous to moving here, I had been prescribing prescription skincare for around 12, 13 years and very successfully had amazing results uh, so for my patients in the UK. Now, back then, there was only one other brand and one alternative. And with that brand, which is what I used to prescribe, the results were just absolutely incredible. I was just hooked on it. All my patients were on it and um, really, really pleased. However, you really did have to choose your patients very carefully and you had to um, ensure that they really understood the downtime involved because with this other method, which is um, currently the only other one um, compared to us uh, that, that people can use, yes, the results were great, but you had at least two to six weeks of downtime. Uh, the process is really costly. The products are more expensive and uh, it's a multi-step process. So you would have to use four creams in the morning, four creams at night, mix them and so on. And yes, although the results were great, I knew that there was a possibility here and there was a gap in the market here to make this system work better. And when I moved to Australia, I realized that this that brand is not particularly readily available in Australia. So I approached my pharmacist and I said, hey, you know, I've been prescribing this for years, but now that I live in Australia, I'm finding it really hard to get these products. Um, what's the alternative here? Uh, what can you know? What what else can I do uh, here in Australia? And that's when she said, 
hey, do you realize that there's a GP up the road, literally at the end of the street, who is doing this exact same thing with the same ingredients as you, but she's making them into a compound. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that sounds like an amazing idea. And she said, she's beautiful and glamorous and gorgeous and you would love her. You would get on like a house on fire. You should meet um, and gave each other's number. And we literally met the following week and decided to meet for a quick coffee. Coffee turned into a three hour meeting, at which point we both said, there's something here and there's definitely a gap in the market. And we feel that we can, with both of our experience, we can make something much, much better than what's already available. Oh, I just got chills listening to that. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Yeah. At what point, though, did you decide to create this brand together? It's one thing to, I mean, even have the idea and realise you've got similar interests and the same philosophy around the skin, but I feel like it's an entirely different thing to actually say we can start a brand together. So what led to that decision? I think as Clara has um, alluded to previously, she's quite risk averse and I am certainly not a businesswoman by training. Um, I've learned most of what I know from Clara, to be honest, she's an amazing businesswoman. And so we were very conservative in the beginning. We just started with one cream. I think we didn't even name it in the beginning. She would prescribe it from her clinic. I would prescribe it from my clinic. We had done some research and trials and stuff and chose one particular pharmacy who would then make it for our patients. They would pick it up from Blanc and the word grew. And that is how our brand became a brand. So suddenly everyone was coming into her clinic and my clinic saying, I want this magic cream. I saw so-and-so and her skin looks amazing. I want what she's having. And so it really was a very organic growth and it was born from patient demand. And that is exactly what we've relied on throughout our journey is patient demand and responding to that. We were absolutely blown away. We had an article in the West Australian, um, which by this time, Clara had um, suggested the name The Secret, which is an amazing um, name. As I said, she's an absolutely fantastic businesswoman and she's got an amazing um understanding of marketing and what people want and she said oh I think we should call our brand the secret and I was like oh my god because all patients were walking in saying I want you know what why is your skin so amazing and their friends would say oh it's a secret and so it was this fantastic play on words and the word of mouth grew and then we decided okay we're going to do this and it really did grow from there it was very very much an organic there was no business plan there was no step-by-step process it was just meeting the demand that was there how long did it take to perfect the formula what was your you know list of non-negotiables so I think it, it was the stability of the compound I think I was about to say that so um what what we are prescribing and look there's now 13 products in the range so it's vastly um expanded from which was one from the one initial cream which was the cellular repair but it was about the base that we put the compound in and also where we got the ingredients from. So um, sort of leading on from Clara's desire for everything to be the best of the best, we firstly investigated where we wanted to source the ingredients from. And then we pretty much did some trials with various different pharmacies. And um, I'd actually worked with the pharmacy that we use currently previously. And so we worked on product development and getting the 
base correct. And, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't as good as it is now. And we actually had changed pharmacies over the years. Um, but our goal was to have the perfect base, the perfect consistency, and have all the actives working at their greatest potential to give the best result. So the secret began to spread, pardon the pun. You've mentioned that demand was just increasing. Is it at this point that you launched the digital platform and kind of launched the brand in that more official way? Yeah, we we did. So uh, just going back briefly to what Deb just mentioned, um, initially we just had the one, the, the cream. It was just the cream. It wasn't really anything. And then it became the secret cream. And then eventually it became the cellular repair night cream because we had to re- differentiate it from other products that we're making. And uh, yeah, as Deb mentioned just now, we, uh, we've we ended up with 13 products. I think at the time we had around 10 or 11 products and decided that these products should be available for everyone, not just to the patients that could come into our clinic, but to the general population. And we wanted to break down that barrier that people have to access the products. And that's the um, that's the basis of our of our of our company. We want to of our business to make these products accessible to other people. And of course, although we were facilitating that access, it was still very, very hard because people still had to come into the clinic and, and see us. And so we decided why don't we do an online platform? where we can do the consultations online and therefore people don't have to come in and people who live all over the country can actually access our formulations in the same way. So they're still going to get the exact same efficacy and the exact same um, accuracy in terms of the the prescription and what they're recommended, uh, but they don't have to necessarily be in Western Australia. And so we decided to launch the online platform just as COVID hit Australia. So we had a launch event and, um, you know, launching the, the website to the, to the whole world and went really well. And this was, I think, on a, maybe on like on a Thursday and by the Monday, the whole country had shut down. <laughs> and of course, initially we panicked and thought, oh my gosh, you know, how is this going to affect our business? And we've only just done the event and so on. But actually, do you know what? It was the best thing that could have happened for our business um, in terms of everyone went home and did everything on Zoom like we are now and constantly just were looking at either at themselves on Zoom or at home in the mirror because they had so much spare time and couldn't access their treatments, couldn't access their normal um, skin maintenance treatments at clinics because everything was closed. So they started looking online and they would come up with um, our website and order products. So our, our business really did boom during COVID because of that. It really was a helpful factor for us. And uh, and yeah, so everything kind of grew from there. Um, it, it was really well received because, of course, having that accessibility for people is just a game changer. Well, as someone who is on the other side of the country, I too am very grateful for that shift to digital. <laughs> now, this is a broad, maybe a broad question. The Secret was the country's first prescription-only skincare line. For those who haven't used prescription skincare before, what makes prescription products different from what we just have access to off the shelf? So I think um, Clara and I are dentist and doctor. So we are very much um, outcomes-based and we rely on science for all of our treatments. And so all of our prescription skincare or all prescription skincare uses 
medical strength ingredients that have been proven in clinical trials to produce an outcome. So there is a very clear line in the sand between prescription skincare and over-the-counter skincare. And for that reason, you do, you do need a prescription from a doctor because there are boxes that we have to tick. We have to check if you're pregnant or not. We have to check your past medical history because they are so much stronger. But at the same time, they're scientifically proven to give you a result that over-the-counter skincare is simply not able to, um, to do. Again, uh, just reiterating what, what Debbie's saying, uh, over-the-counter or retail skincare, which you can find uh, on the shelves in either supermarkets or clinics or, or pharmacies, um, just on the shelves, those products are mass manufactured. Mm -hmm. They are made for the masses. And therefore, they really do have to keep active ingredients and anything which may react to a minimum or remove them altogether. So they can't, they, they have to reduce the risk of reactions as much as possible. And therefore, because anyone can pick them up, there is no restrictions to anyone picking that up, putting it in the basket and taking it home. So any product that you can buy without being previously checked and approved, it's not going to have the efficacy that something that's been made for you has that's it's just as simple as that and the, and that's the reason okay because you have to make safety safety's um main concern for manufacturers and so yeah the, the ingredients that you can find even at uh even at uh your beauty stores as well uh which you might have an assistant advising you what to pick up at the end of the day they're not checking uh your skin or previous medical history or you know conditions or whether you're pregnant or not so they're a lot more restricted uh prescription ingredients are a lot more restricted so that there are doctors behind it um checking that their patient is suitable a question that i'm asked more or less every time that i mention prescription skincare is is prescription skincare available to everyone or do you have to have a medical skin condition in order to access that prescription no, it's, uh, it's, for, it's for everyone. It's for anyone who wants to improve their skin. It's for anyone who wants to have healthy skin. Of course, if you do have a, a skin condition, it will improve that and it will be very visible. Essentially what our creams do and the ingredients in our creams do is make your skin healthy. So they regulate your skin cells to reproduce in a healthy manner. And when skin's, skin cells are reproducing in a healthy manner, they don't produce too much melanin. They don't produce too much oil. They they, they're not too sluggish. They speed up their cell turnover. Uh, and essentially that gives you that kind of dewy, baby, healthy skin look that we all want. Uh, so regardless of where you start from, where your baseline is, it might be that your skin does have a lot of pigmentation and does have a lot of acne, um, congestion and so on. Once we're making the skin cells reproduce in a really healthy manner, you will have healthy glowing skin. So even if your your condition is a lot milder or your skin is already healthy, most people find that they they see an improvement. Even if even for myself, you know, my skin's pretty healthy now. I've been using this for six, I don't know, nearly twenty years now, um, and it's a lot more resilient. It's just healthy. It doesn't really uh, build up pigment and so on. But if, if but if I do say if I go on holiday and I've skipped my skincare for a few weeks and I get that pigment build up again it will just shift it. So it really is suitable for anyone, any age. We have teenagers that use the acne cream. We have 80 year olds that use our cellular repair and the serum. It's really suitable for, you know, any gender, any age and any skin condition for sure. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask what are some of the skin concerns that 
the secret has been able to treat. But I think you've just summed it up in saying that it helps to ensure that the skin is healthy and healthy skin is skin that isn't showing these conditions. Yeah, exactly. And um, we've definitely that very much um, governed the product development side of our business. So um, as Clara mentioned, we had our cellular repair, our night cream, um, and then and obviously we developed a day cream to go with it. But then patients would come and say, this has been amazing for me, but my daughter's got really bad acne. What can you do for that? And so then we did our research and um, worked out which compounds would be best. And we th- therefore developed our acne cream. We then developed a cream for rosacea or facial dermatitis, which really was born out of when COVID hit and everybody was wearing masks so mm-hmm. much. And in fact, Clara had this perinasal dermatitis that wouldn't go away. And so I said, okay, I'm going to develop you um, a compound, worked with the um, pharmacist. She suggested some ingredients and we came up with a compound and she said, oh my God, hallelujah. The next morning I woke up and it was gone. Um, and so it's all been very much born out of that. Pregnancy, women said, I'd love it cellular repair, but I'm pregnant, I can't use it anymore. What can I use? Um, dark circles or puffiness. So it's been born out of patient need. There's nothing extraneous that we're producing. We're not trying to create conditions. We're, we're simply responding to patient demand. So aside from the variations on, say, the creams and the different concerns that you can treat, as we've mentioned, the range now has 13 products. You've got eye-specific products. There's a serum, a spot treatment, neck and decolletage. How does that product development process work for you and even the decision-making process around which categories you'll enter into? Are you working off consumer demand, like you've said, or are you constantly thinking about what might come next or is it a bit of both? A bit of both, definitely. Mm -hmm. So initially the first products we made, as Deb mentioned just now, were from patient demand. Uh, They have a night cream, great. We've developed this awesome night cream. Now, what do I use in the day? What do I use under the day cream? My skin's a bit dry and what do I use around my eyes? So most of the products did develop from that. Uh, Now the actual combinations of products and the formulas, lots of them have been used in dermatology for decades. As Deb mentioned earlier, the ingredients have been proven in clinical trials for decades. Uh, they're not at question. The formulas uh, ha- have been used for decades and they're very effective. It was more about creating the products in a stable formula that would remain stable for many, many months. And that's where the key, that's where the tricky part is. So each formula has to be really carefully considered. Um, the percentages of each ingredient have to be calculated precisely because if you increase something even by 1%, the whole formula breaks down. So that's where the product development issues for us or or challenges were just creating the formula that would not just work and uh, give you the result, the desired result, but also that you could keep on your shelf out of the fridge. That's another challenge. Um, And it would be effective for the period of time that we recommend it for which is usually around six months. Although the creams now, we've done a lot of stability testing and our creams with our specific base will last you about 12 months without breaking down, the actual effective period for them is around six months. But we do recommend getting rid of them at that that point. So so that's that's how it kind of, it begins from patient demand. And then we use formulas that we know are, are trial and tested and we know work, but we kind of, 
adjust them to suit what we would like to achieve. Um, and then we're always in the lookout for new ingredients, uh, new technology, and what are the latest things that uh, that dermatologists around the world are using effectively, and in, and that have been proven in clinical trials. So. They will come to the office every now and again and say, you know, I read this study and it's uh, this this new ingredient and it's been used in America for the last two years and it's giving great results. And then we look into it more, we investigate, we look at the results and we then work alongside our pharmacists to create formulas that we think might benefit our patients and some of the conditions that we often get because don't forget Deb and I still work in practice so we do see patients every day and they come in and they will talk to us about what their issues are so we're in touch with our patients a lot and we we do take that feedback from them as well uh, and then we develop formulas that we think are going to suit us and we start trialing them and we often try them on ourselves to be honest <laughs> um and we we yeah we we trial for a while and we make sure that the product is going to give uh, a consistent result consistency is key as well um across a variety of patients with different conditions that we want to treat and then we sort of go from there you've given me a great segue because there are so many beauty buzzwords and trendy ingredients that pop up all of the time now I think largely thanks to social media and there are a lot of brands who will bring out something new and very much driven by those trends almost once a month from my perspective as someone who uses your products it seems that your philosophy isn't trend driven it's about the essentials it's about products that actually deliver but from a business perspective is it ever difficult to ignore those fast trends and just stick to the brand ethos no, no, I think for, it's a, a no-brainer for us. Um, we will not put anything out that doesn't do something and is not of value with a confirmed scientific outcome. We are not about trends. We are not about um, flashing the pan. All of our products that we've launched have remained in the range for a very good reason because they consistently, as Clara said, deliver amazing results. And so we won't act on a trend unless there's science behind it. Um, so melatonin was one of our favoured new ingredients and there isn't quite, a, it's trendy to use um, orally melatonin for sleep, um, but using it topically has recently been proven to produce anti-aging effects. And so all of our day creams and our neck and deck have melatonin so it's driven by science it's not driven by what's cool at the it's, time it sounds like and, a given but it's not the norm yeah, <laughs> it's just not yeah and that's another thing for example we we decided to include melatonin to our day creams about maybe a year ago wasn't it Deb? Mm -hmm. roughly um because it's been scientifically scientifically proven now because of all our creams are created individually for each patient it was just easy. We could just start adding it overnight. Uh, there was no extra charge to the patient. The cream still costs the same amount of money. It just has one extra bonus ingredient. And production began the following day. You know, as soon as we decided, it's not like we then have to make another 10,000 batch that then is going to be on the shelves in two years' time. It's literally as of tomorrow, your creams will have this extra benefit. Um, and we're able to tailor each cream to the individual. So Gemma, if you came to us and you wanted and you were suitable for a specific cream, say the cellular repair night cream, but it just so happens that you're a bit sensitive to one of the ingredients or allergic or 
we want to increase the concentration of one of the ingredients, for example, if you've had it already and the next uh, time you order, you, you, you want to go a little bit stronger because we're able to up your strength because your skin's healthier and able to tolerate it. We're just easily able to tailor that formula for you because the jar is going to be made for you. So I think that's what we've done most recently. Because I'm, we yeah. know I'm obsessed with the cellular mm-hmm. night paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I'm on a triple strength myself, and we just tailor it to each person, and that's what's so unique about our, our brand. On deciding what is and isn't worth introducing to the range, in June of this year, you launched sustainable refillable packaging. What can you tell me about that decision and what the future of sustainability looks like for the brand? Well, I think as Clara just um, explained, we are very much minimal waste any, anyway because we only make what mm. a patient has ordered. But we felt that we needed to take this one step further. Um, so our sort of three core values of our business are science, service and sustainability. So science has been harped on about a lot this um, during the podcast. Service is something that we really pride ourselves on and it leads on from the prescription side of things. So we have an amazing customer support team who work with our patients. There's um, 24 hour email access. We've now got a chat function as well. And we really keep our patients in the loop. We send them updates about what to expect so service is really important to us. And then we really started to realise that sustainability is a trend, but it's a trend that we felt was worth investing in. And it was definitely the biggest investment for our business that we'd had um, in its history. But it was really important to us. And so we were willing to, to invest because we felt really confident that that's what people want. People want to know that not only are they doing good for themselves, but they're not doing harm to the environment. Clara and I are both really outdoors. We are both obsessed with the beach. We've both got young families that we know will be inheriting our planet. And so we felt really, really strongly that this was something that we wanted to do. And the other thing is that our refillable range has a couple of other benefits. So as Clara said, um, in terms of the volume that we're giving, our refillable range is a little bit small in volume and the reason for that was that we felt that patients were having too much product and they were having literally half their product left after six months and we were emailing them saying it's time to dry out your product and they were like oh but we've got half left so waste was something that we really felt quite strongly about we were making too much and then also the dispensing system in our beautiful pods is not contaminated contaminated it's got the um airless pump so you're getting the exact correct amount and it's not contaminated by bacteria by dipping your finger in so it's it's a number of benefits for the patient but also for the environment you have both been a part of the beauty industry for quite some time now over the last few years what have been some of the biggest changes that you've seen within the industry I would say uh, patients are a lot more educated these days. They're a lot more conscious when it comes to making a product selection. They do their research a lot more. Um, I think that we are moving away from quantity towards quality. Definitely. People don't want to have a 10-step routine anymore. Uh, We've all recognized that we're all just actually really busy and don't have the time to do a half an hour 
skincare routine in the morning and at night well I don't know about you but I definitely don't I don't there definitely no, doesn't definitely not. Um, regardless yeah. of what you're doing with your life there are better things you could be doing whether it's your work you know you have kids or you just want to go down to for a walk doesn't matter it's just a bit of a it's unnecessary to so we wanted to that's why our, our creams are single step um, as easy as can be we wanted to combine everything so to make uh, the product application really really simple and I think that is a trend that is happening now we are definitely moving away from that but also people are more educated so if they're going to put something on their skin they tend to do the research first um, and we're seeing a lot of a lot more education out there uh, some of it correct some of it not so much uh, but for us education is really important as well so we do uh, post a lot on our website and on our uh, Instagram uh, educational posts just trying to empower um, all the patients out there all the customers out there to make an informed decision about what they're putting on their skin and what the benefits and risks of anything that they're using is and once they're informed then you can make the right decision for your skin the right choice for you. And what changes do you think we can expect to see from the beauty industry over the next few years? I think just leading on from what Clara said, I think minimalism and um, obviously there's all these new TGA rules and um, re- regarding influences, which we sort of can see the benefit in, but obviously can be a little bit difficult. But I do think that there is a little bit too much of the um, perhaps selling a dream that then is not a reality. And so I think people are becoming much more informed. They are relying more on science. And as Clara sort of talked about the educational side of things, you know, things like your podcasts, where you get your information from a really valued source who actually does know what they're talking about, is actually a really growing trend. And I'm amazed how much young women are interested in this kind of knowledge, because when I was that age, I don't think I was as nearly as interested as most of my patients are. So I think there's more of an emphasis on quality and minimalism than there was in the past. My final question, what is next for the secret skincare? Well, we've got lots in store, lots of things coming up. The next 12 months are really huge for us. The last 12 months have been really huge, but the next 12 months are going to be even bigger. Um, We're currently partnering with clinics across Australia so the secret will be available um, to have a consultation and have a chat with someone in a clinic near you coming soon. <laughs> so we are partnering with the uh, top clinics across Australia as we speak. We've done a couple of launches um, and we've got a few more coming up. And uh, so that's one thing. Uh, we are also bringing out a retail range later this Ooh. year. Um, and so we've been working on that for a couple of years. I won't disclose what it is and what's going to be in that just yet, Gemma. We'll have mm-hmm. to do another little chat closer to the yes. time. Uh, but it's very exciting and that will be available to purchase without a prescription. And Amazing. so that will be available uh, online and also in clinics, in local clinics. So customers can just simply go head to the local uh, clinic and pick it up. And then international expansion and global domination. That was Dr. Clara Hurst and Dr. Deb Cohen-Jones, co-founders of The Secret, which you can find on Instagram at the underscore secret underscore skincare. To read more, you can visit glowjournal.com and for more beauty news, you can find me on Instagram at gemkwatts or at glow.journal. 
If you liked this episode, please do not forget to subscribe, rate, review and share so other beauty and business lovers can find us. I'm Gemma Watts. You've been listening to the Glow Journal podcast and thank you for joining me.